0: LRN edition 74 Broadcasting in 3, 2, 1 I was born woman Off my knees I will stand For my liberation Sisters rise again I was born woman Off my knees I will stand My
1: liberation, rise and rise again.
0: Greetings and welcome to the 74th edition podcast of Women's Liberation Radio News for this Thursday, June 2nd, 2022. This is Jenna, WLRN's ever faithful sound editor and producer. This month's edition focuses on the indoctrination of children into gender identity ideology in the public schools and elsewhere in society. We'll hear an excerpt of an interview Thistle did with Mary Jo Walters, mother of three in the Madison Public Schools and former school board candidate in Madison. We will also hear an excerpt of an interview I did with the deprogrammer about her former life as a foot soldier for the trans movement, what she has learned since that time, and what her thoughts are now as a whistleblower. Finally, we will hear Sekmet she take on this topic with her totally excellent radical feminist commentary at the end of the show. The team at WLRN produces a monthly radio broadcast to break the sound barrier women are blocked by under the status quo rule of men. This blocking of women's discourse we see in all sectors of society, be they conservative, liberal, mainstream, progressive, or radical. The thread that runs through all of American politics, except for separatist feminism, is male dominance and entitlement in all spheres. To start off today's edition, here's Jennifer Billick with her monthly special report on the gender industry from the 11th Hour blog.
2: Hi all, I'm reporting from the 11th Hour blog on the intersections of the gender industry or the marketing of synthetic sex identities, technology, and capitalism. WLRN is reporting this month on more and more schools teaching children about masturbation, kink, same-sex attraction, and the ideology of gendered souls in their scholastic curriculums. I have written before about the Pritzker family and their systematic funding of schools and early childhood programs under former President Obama and their role in getting him elected to change policies around gender ideology. The Pritzker funding of schools to generate the teaching of gender ideology to young children has only escalated over the years. But instead of talking about the funding driving these new curriculums, I'd rather look at why this is happening. There are too few feminists engaging the technological advancements driving this ideology. The Pretzkers are not alone in their funding mechanizations of our social institutions, including children's early childhood education, foster programs, and the drive to include their indoctrination into gender ideology. The Pritzkers are a prominent lot, but there are other millionaires and billionaires, 99% of whom have huge investments in the biotech and biopharma industries, funding schools, and basically engineering society toward what amounts to a new religion based on technology and forcing unnatural biological adjustments to human physiology in the name of human rights. Arcus Foundation, the largest LGBT NGO in the world, which is funded by the founders' stock in Stryker Medical Corporation, to which he is heir, has made no secret that the work of Arcus Foundation is now focused on the global south, including Chile and South Africa. Last year, it was reported that in a first for an African country, South Africa is revising its national identity system to be more inclusive and recognize different gender identities. Gender identities are not real sexes, but are synthetic sex identities created by the techno-medical complex, being compared to real ones and deserving of human rights that are special and in accordance with their feelings about themselves, not reality. Chile recently banned discrimination against genetically altered people. The new Chilean law mimics the language and themes of another piece of recent legislation passed in Argentina last year that creates an unprecedented legal distinction between human persons and transhuman persons. Transhumanism is a word that conjures for many crazy science fiction delusions, something impossible. But when we think of how far we have advanced as a species in the last 100 years and how wedded we are to our technology, it becomes less crazy. When we understand that elites are investing in a closer welding of biotechnology and humanity, the advancements of AI and the further disconnection of humanity from our actual roots in the biosphere as a sexually dimorphic species, transhumanism doesn't look so crazy anymore. Synthetic sex identities breaking the boundary between male and female in the minds of the next generation is an important step in this process. Sexually traumatizing children on purpose with material that is well beyond their ability to process in their schools and libraries and on their social media while attempting to hide this information from their parents only makes sense if you are intent on having them dissociate from their bodies, as we know survivors of sexual trauma do. Children today are being groomed to a more intimate connection with technology than ever before, while their roots to their reality of their sexed bodies are being severed. They are being sexually traumatized by elite-generated sexual propaganda into their schools. This is not an accident. We already know this is happening at a very rapid pace. And as I wrote recently in a blog post, parents are starting to rise. But if they don't become cognizant of why this process is underway, why elites are driving the message that sexual dimorphism is not real, into their children's young developing minds, chances for their success decline. Detransitioners are reporting now on their indoctrination into gender ideology through the internet. Parents can wean their children off of tech, but they must also understand how their children's school curriculums are being changed by big money and a long game agenda of transforming humanity. Thank you. This has been a special report from the 11th Hour Blog for WLRN, Women's Liberation Radio News.
0: Thank you, Jen. Now we turn to Liz Miller's monthly segment, Getting Organized, where she interviews a feminist activist about their projects to fire us up about what works in the wonderful world of women's activism. This month, Liz talks with Angela Wild about her feminist activist store, Wild Women Workshop, her feminist street activism, and her Lesbian Me Too and Get the L Out UK projects.
3: Well, I wanted to ask you about um, your local activism that you were mentioning. You said this is kind of a newer thing for you. And, and I wanted to hear about what you've been doing locally.
4: Yes, and, um, it's, it's, um, it's not something I came up with. A lot of uh, women in the UK have been doing that because the elections um, just happened. And so there was a lot of street activism <clears throat> Which we have been part of here, uh, where you basically find a little gang, you know, like three, four is a good number, more is better, and uh, get a little table in a street corner with a suffragette flag and a couple of flyers. And then we just um, spend a few hours in the street. Somebody would turn up with a dinosaur costume and uh we engage with um, with people we engage mainly with women um just giving them flyers and see if they want to speak more you know we explain that it's about women's rights a lot of this has been around the fact that um in the uk uh we've had a few politicians who were not able to define what a woman was so it was you know easy to kind of engage on that um because it's so obviously stupid <laughs> And a lot of people actually heard of it. So yeah. that's a really good, um, that, that's been really good. We are hoping to get some more, even though it's not the election anymore, because I think it's a very direct way to communicate with women, to discuss with women, to raise awareness. Um, and we had done this a few years ago when uh, there was some plan to change the GRA, and the, what I see, the difference that I see now, a few years down the line, is that we have much more engagement. Women are much more aware. Women are okay. angry. They are thanking us for being here. We've had, I mean, you know, we're talking really small, sorry, really small town in the rural Wales. And, you know, it's not nothing fancy or or extreme, but we've had women giving us like or like money to support us to print flyers and things like this so i think there's a, a more awareness in the population which means that as a feminist movement we've done a good job into raising these issues yeah you know? that's great but i think we should really not dismiss the the groundwork of going to streets and speaking to women in the real world like
3: mm-hmm. yeah what are your thoughts on sort of grassroots activism versus um sort of working to get legislation changed or sort of main more mainstream kind of Mm. activism
4: yes i i'm not that like okay for me um like the idea of writing a letter or going to speak to a man in a suit you know in parliament makes no sense at all i just do not get it um I'm, i'm i have tried and it's like um, why am i doing this you know it's hello uh would you mind uh you know acknowledging we exist in the law like could you just make sure that there's a law that is like the law against rape is kind of implemented can we you know <laughs> it makes no sense to me to go and ask people in power men in power um for just basic recognition of our rights they should know better if they don't know it means they don't give a shit and not only they go, but they I, I don't see the point of doing that it's feel very very self-defeating to put it this way um and i know we, we had this conversation uh, previously i i think that if we need something it's much more efficient to do it ourselves, to get it ourselves, um, than to ask, oh, could I please get some funding for a rape crisis centre? And then, you know, they might say yes, they might say no, if you're really lucky, they say yes, then they put all sorts of different kind of um, um, limitations and conditions. You can only do this if you accept men and what about many dresses and so on. And And from the beginning, it's... It might feel like a victory if you get some funding, but actually from the beginning, you're tied to a patriarchal system and an institution that's going to control what you do and the way you do it. And then who's to say that in five years, they're not going to take it away. So, which, they, which is what they're doing now. <laughs> which is what they're doing now, exactly. And the same, the same thing about the abortion laws. I know it's a massive blow what's happening in the U.S. I'm not dismissing that. It's absolutely horrible,
3: yeah.
4: It's just horrendous. And it just
3: shows you how what a bad idea it is to put anything about our rights in men's hands. Mm. You now It's like, we gave you abortion and now we're going to take it away. Well, abortion was something that was only done by male doctors in the last hundred years it was before that, it was something that women controlled and took care of ourselves for thousands of years. And we honestly never should have given it over. I mean, we gave it over to men at the same time that we gave childbirth um, process over to men. And that was also a mistake.
5: Hmm.
0: Thank you, Liz. And thank you, Angela, for taking the time to share your insight with us. Before we hear our interviews for this month, we turn to the WLRN World News segment with Aurora Linnea.
6: The Brazilian Senate's Human Rights Committee is sending a team into Yanomami indigenous territory in the Amazon to investigate allegations from April that a 12 year old indigenous girl was raped and murdered by gold miners. Federal police who visited the community last month said in a statement afterward that they found no evidence of the crime. But Yanomami leadership argued that miners had coerced residents into denying the girl's murder. The Hudakara Yanomami Association asserts that the abuse, rape, and killing of Yanomami women and girls by miners illegally operating on indigenous land has become routine in recent years. In 2021, illegal mining activity in Yanomami territories increased by 46%, emboldened by Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro's strongly pro-mining, pro-industry regime. A surgeon in India's capital city of New Delhi has announced his plans to attempt the world's first transplant of a uterus into a man. Dr. Narendra Kaushik, who runs a popular transgender surgical clinic, told journalists this month that he hopes to provide womb transplants to trans-identifying male clients as a gender-affirming procedure. Every transgender woman wants to be as female as possible, and this includes being a mother. The way towards this is with a uterine transplant, the same as a kidney or any other transplant, Dr. Kaushik says. It would be quite simple, really. Just take a dead woman's uterus, or the discarded uterus of a woman who has undergone female to male surgical transition, and insert that uterus somewhere inside a man's abdomen. Future impregnation would have to occur through in vitro fertilization, and delivery would require C-section, of course, since, men do not have fallopian tubes, cervixes, or birth canals. Like I said, it's really very simple. Indian feminist Vashnavi Sundar has expressed concerns that if Dr. Kaushik is successful, the popularization of womb transplants in India could lead to further commodification of Indian women's bodies. She speculates that poor women might be pressured to sell their uteruses for transplantation. Men could essentially shop for wombs in India and industries would have a field day at the expense of vulnerable women, Sundar writes. Dr. Kaushik does not yet have a patient lined up to undergo this grand experiment in male motherhood, but he tells journalists that he is optimistic about his plan. In Afghanistan on May 7th, the Taliban's Ministry for the Promotion of Virtue and Suppression of Vice issued an edict ordering women to keep their faces fully covered when in public, ideally with the Taliban-approved burqa. Taliban leader Hibatullah Akhundzada also advised that women should not leave their homes unless necessary. This signals a return to the oppressive policies that characterized the previous era of Taliban rule, confirming the fears of Afghan women and women's rights activists. Women have not submitted quietly to the Taliban's edict, however. The day after it was issued, women gathered on the streets of Kabul to protest the new restrictions. One protester, who preferred to remain anonymous, said of the Taliban, they insult us, we can't even reply because they have guns and their fingers are always on the trigger. They don't care that we are women, they don't value women. I'm not just defending my own rights, but the rights of all women in Afghanistan. The ACLU Foundations of Northern and Southern California, along with Lambda Legal and the Transgender Law Center, have filed a motion to intervene in Women's Liberation Front's lawsuit challenging SB 132, the California law that requires men who declare a female or non-binary gender identity to be housed in women's prisons. The ACLU denies any meaningful biological differences between male and female humans, One argues that it is discriminatory to refuse men transfer to women's prisons under any circumstances even if those men are rapists. Their logic holds that since female sex offenders go to women's prisons, male sex offenders claiming to be female should also go to women's prisons, for to do otherwise would be to discriminate against them because they are transgender rather than female women. Hence, it is of no importance that 33.8% of men requesting transfers into women's prisons are sex offenders, according to Keep Prisons Single Sex USA's data. In a press release, the ACLU Foundation of Southern California describes Wolf's lawsuit as replete with intentional and serial misgendering and rehashed sensationalist and debunked claims about transgender women supposedly perpetrating violence. The ACLU does not mention just who has debunked the claims of violence, of course. Could it be the men themselves? Saturday, May 14th marked a day of protest across the United States, ignited by the leak of the Supreme Court draft opinion suggesting an imminent annulment of Roe v. Wade. Citizens gathered for Bans Off Our Bodies rallies to defend abortion rights in 600 U.S. cities and towns. At the New York City protest, a group of high school students lined up on a monument in Foley Square, dressed in white pants splashed with red stains to resemble blood. The young women held up photographs of women who had died because they were denied safe medical abortions. At the rally in Los Angeles, thousands filled the blocks between a federal courthouse and city hall. The largest event, however, took place in Washington, D.C., and drew a crowd of 20,000 protesters. The May 14th demonstrations were mobilized by Women's March, along with Planned Parenthood Federation of America. Move On, and other ostensibly progressive pro choice groups. In spite of the protests and the lip service paid to their horror at the leaked court opinion, Democratic politicians have failed to put forward any real plan to enshrine abortion rights in federal law should Roe v. Wade be overturned. Their inaction harkens back to the Obama administration. When President Obama reneged on his 2008 campaign promise to sign the Freedom of Choice Act, making no effort to advance the bill until in 2009, he admitted that it was, quote, not his highest legislative priority. Per standard operating procedure, indifference towards women's lives and freedoms is bipartisan. The Women's Bill of Rights was introduced this month as a resolution to the United States House of Representatives. Originally presented in March and then reintroduced on May 19th with minor modifications, the Women's Bill of Rights is a model legislation created by Women's Liberation Front in collaboration with Independent Women's Voice. Its objective is to legally define what a woman is, to protect single-sex spaces for women and girls, and enable the law to recognize the relevance of sex in decision-making. Women's Liberation Front's Executive Director, Dr. Mari Irvine, attended the announcement of the Congressional Resolution in Washington, D.C. and had this to say. I'm here at the Capitol to celebrate Republican
0: legislators who are announcing a resolution for a federal Women's Bill of Rights. This Women's Bill of Rights is based on model legislation that Wolf co-authored along with Independent Women's Voice. I'm immensely proud of our legal director, Lauren Adams, who co-authored this model legislation, and we are incredibly thrilled that Republican leaders in this country are taking women's rights seriously enough to codify basic definitions of words like woman,
6: man, and sex. A Japanese court has ordered Tokyo's Juntendo University Medical School to pay 8.05 million yen, the equivalent of 63,000 U.S. dollars, in damages to 13 women for manipulating entrance exams in favor of male candidates. Tokyo District Court presiding judge Mikiko Komoto called the university's treatment of female applicants, quote, irrational and discriminatory refuting the university's claim that its acceptance criteria was not based on favoring men, but on the limited capacity of the women's dormitory. Nintendo University is not alone in its discrimination against female applicants. In 2018, a nationwide survey by Japan's education ministry found that nine medical schools had rigged entrance exams to favor male applicants as well as relatives of alumni. Ireland's largest online prostitution marketplace, Escort Ireland, is now offering sex-buying men the chance to live out their war-inspired fantasies with Ukrainian women refugees. Valiant Ritchie, coordinator for the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe's Combating Trafficking in Human Beings group, revealed that Escort Ireland has reported a 250% spike in searches for Ukrainian women since refugees began fleeing that country following the Russian invasion in February. Sadly, Irish men's interest in sexually exploiting Ukrainian women in crisis is relatively modest. In other countries, Ritchie said, that search activity has increased by as much as 600%. Speaking at a web conference held by the Irish organization Beyond Exploitation, Ritchie said that, quote, Addressing demand today is the single greatest anti-trafficking tool we have to prevent the current humanitarian crisis from becoming a trafficking one. On May 26, Spain's Lower House of Parliament passed the so-called Only Yes is Yes Bill, defining all non-consensual sex as rape. This legislation merges the crimes of sexual abuse and sexual assault into one crime, qualified as rape, and removes the requirement that victims prove violence or resistance. The bill was inspired in response to the 2018 Wolfpack case, when five men, calling themselves the Wolfpack, gang-raped a young woman at a bull-running festival and were convicted for sexual abuse rather than rape and thus received more lenient jail sentences due to the lesser charge. The case spurred mass protests and brought new attention to violence against women in Spain. In praise of the bill's passage, Equality Minister Irene Montero told lawmakers, from now on, Spain is a freer and safer country for all women. The legislation must now pass a vote in the upper house of parliament before it can go into effect.
0: Before we close out our headlines segment today, a quick story regarding last month's events in Madison, Wisconsin. Our podcast last month covered these events, among them a Speaker's Corner held on April 23rd at the Capitol in Madison. If you tuned into the live stream or listened to the podcast, you know that the TRA presence in our permitted space was an interruption to say the least. One of several sisters that were harassed by protesters that day, Marissa, began experiencing harassment that subsequently led to the TRA strategy of trying to get her fired from her job. I was able to speak with Marissa quickly on Monday morning, and this is what has happened in her own words.
7: It's a clear-cut case of First Amendment rights violation, and they're trying to use what I said at the Sisters for Sisters Speakers Corner Rally in Madison last month as a hook to investigate me in my professional capacity.
0: They were trying to get you fired, is that right?
7: Well, what's happening is one of the TRAs decided to call my school and talk to my secretary and said, I'm not fit to work with children. What did your secretary say? She just said, okay, I'll let her principal know. Click. Okay. Um, Okay. Okay. (laughs) So homeboy decides to email my principal with a video clip. He deletes it without opening it. Because, like my secretary and he both said, we don't care what you do on your own time. Mm, so they've been supportive of you. They have. That's terrific. I'm very encouraged to see that. Because oh,
0: yeah, there was, for sure. I mean, If we were talking like two or three years ago, I don't know that it would have turned out the same way.
7: Mm-mm, and I wasn't prepared to speak out two or three years ago. Now I am. I'm semi-seasoned in my profession. You know, I'm in my eighth year. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm talking about. And that should be it. But these people also decided that they wanted to go to the Wisconsin Department of Public Instruction, which is my licensing body. And so that's where we get the investigation into my professional conduct. So I'm being cited on grounds of immoral conduct based on what I said on my own time on a Saturday. Now the Wisconsin Statute on Immoral Conduct cites a couple different examples of what immoral conduct entails in a school setting. So one thing would be using district equipment to show a child pornography. Another thing would be aiding and abetting a known child sex predator in obtaining a job in a school. So apparently me saying F transgenderism on my own time using no school equipment mm-hmm. in a totally different city is akin to me showing one of my students porn at school. And did that resolve
0: itself because it's clearly not the same thing?
7: No, I had to get representation. But my lawyer is pretty based and he's representing me for free. And he helped me go public about this so that we can get the maximum benefit from the situation before they drop it, because they have to.
0: That's tremendous.
7: Is there, do you need anything? Or are you, how are you doing? You know what? Um, I would love to use this opportunity to get positive attention for my school. I started this therapeutic indoor garden with my kids a couple months ago, and we're going to try to crowdfund to refresh it over the summer because I'm gonna be running a garden club every day throughout the week it's gonna be lit (laughs) so (laughs) I have a donors choose set up for this so if anybody wants to check it out it's just donorschoose.org slash ms marissa and that's spelled m-a-r-i-s-s-a
6: that concludes WLRN's World News Segment for Thursday, June 2nd, 2022. I'm Aurora Linnea. Please share your news stories, announcements, and tips with us by emailing info at womensliberationradionews.com and letting us know what's going on.
8: Sun shone high those few summer days, left us in a soft white eyed haze. It shone like gold, it shone like gold, but just as the moon, it shall stray. So don't Stay. Gold. But there is only forward, no other way.
9: Tomorrow's
8: your hope at the end of the day. And gold, and
10: gold turns gray. That was First Aid Kit with their song, Stay Gold. Next up, we'll hear excerpts of an interview Thistle did with Mary Jo Walters, mother of three children in the Madison Public Schools and former school board candidate in Madison.
11: Well, I'm happy to have this time to talk about what's been going on. You know, I just, I did want to say a couple things. Um, Twitter, I joined Turf Twitter about three weeks ago when Elon Musk decided to buy Twitter You know, I had a Twitter account. It was attached to my Facebook, but I didn't really use it very much. Um, And now I'm on Twitter all the time. So what I guess is really first and foremost happening um, from being on Twitter uh, is learning the real harms that are being reported in and around this gender ideology. And I guess what really gets me at this point over and over is how can we have the information in front of us? that I don't need to list it. There are lists. Um, And and they're incomplete lists. I think there's some lists that need to be rewritten that talk about the harms. Um, But the point is, is why aren't we calling child services, you know, surrounding these children with, as people like to say, light and love? Uh, You know, why is this continuing? I just don't get it. I just don't get it.
1: Mm -hmm.
12: And how long have you been interacting with public school officials And what have those interactions been
11: like? Started 2015. My son, a fourth grader, was sent home with a worksheet and also an explanation that gender ideology would be taught to him as part of the sex ed, I guess. I mean, he was in fourth grade. Anyway, uh, that started out me writing his teacher and asking that he not be in those classes. I did. And did she respect your request? Oh, yeah. He was removed. Mm-hmm. And it makes a huge difference, you know. But then again, I was, you know, I, I watch my kids like hawks. You know, I, I watch their every move. I, 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 you know, I'm looking at everything. And I always have, you know, I've always just kind of combed them over just to make sure, fix their feathers, you know, just help them kind of, you know, keep going. And uh, this this gender play that's happening is just very much everywhere. We can't separate it out. We can try, but the, you know, there's, you know, it's not just happening here and there and we're able to protect our kids. I'm pretty sure my kids have been damaged absolutely by this GI stuff. And what's interesting about that is that none
12: of them identify as trans or non-binary, but maybe they do call themselves cis, do they? I haven't heard them yet. I, you haven't I heard, heard
11: them. I, I I am going to ask my oldest. Um, he used in a survey that he made for one of his classes. He, he did a survey about violent uh, films, consumption of violent films. And he had pronouns in there. And I asked him, why do you have pronouns in there? And he said, oh, Mom, I want to be inclusive. So he was being inclusive. But then, you know, that's the thing with the with this mess is that they're always asking for more. You know, it's one thing then it's another right. thing and it just keeps going. So I don't, he thought pronouns were fine, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Can you talk about the lawsuits that are
12: happening uh, in Madison against the Madison Public School District?
11: Sure. Uh, Sorry, I'm not totally positive on the year. I think it's 2018. Um, There is a law firm coming out of Milwaukee, but they have people in Madison, called WILL. And it's, I'm sorry, I forget what it stands for. But anyway, of course, they're Republican. And they are... The only means to kind of uh, get this, get this uh, policies get these policies out of the schools. Um, they're a watchdog law firm, and so they're right there when something goes wrong. And so uh, here in Madison, 2018, someone became aware of the uh, gender identity uh, policies and just the absurdity of the languages used a parent. Right uh, We don't know. Uh, basically, I think that there was a legal request for freedom of information toward any, anything that was being used. And so I think, I, I don't know, that's a good question. I'm not sure the origins of how, it was, how they were sniffed out, <laughs> but everybody needs to sniff, sniff their school districts out. You need to be uh, getting some information about when this gender ideology is coming in. Because this isn't, this isn't t- telling us about learning how to make fires or grow your own food or build a house, you know. This is stuff that is messing with kids' minds and bodies. And so the alarm has gone off. The alarm is still going off. And we have to get in line as parents to sniff this stuff out. Mm-hmm. And the lawyers so, help. The
12: lawyers right, right. help. So getting back to the lawsuits in 2018... What happened? It was sniffed out that gender ideology was being taught in the public schools. Somebody contacted this law firm and then they decided to file a lawsuit, right? Right.
11: With parents, uh, eight eight parents, different configurations, all Jane Doe, wait, Jane Doe, Jane John? Jane and John, yeah. Jane and John. Anyway, uh, for reasons uh, around just you know, their children's protection. Trans activism, basically. Yeah. Tra- because should, we know
12: the tactics of trans activism right. so they said, are to bully and ostracize. Right.
11: So they have a case before the Supreme Court in Wisconsin that was supposed to happen last month, but someone had COVID, so they had to postpone it. Sorry, I can't remember exactly. Maybe it's this month. It went through the circuit court. It uh, The idea of having the parents be anonymous did not pass the judge at the lower level. So it's been brought up to the uh, Supreme Court,
12: and and they the Supreme Court allowed the parents to be anonymous. Well,
11: it hasn't come before them yet. We don't oh. know. We don't oh, know. you don't know? No. Oh, okay. No, no. It's before them. They're accepting the case, which is a good thing because a lot of times they don't accept cases. So they could have just ignored the whole thing, and then you know. But you
12: don't. You don't know if the parents
11: are going to be allowed to be anonymous or not. Uh, it's possible they will have to. Give their identity to the other side, the lawyers on the other side, and the judge.
12: Uh huh. But then that's different
11: than their names being published
12: in the newspaper. Well, there's going to be leaks. There will be leaks. leaks. Okay, because too many people. It's
11: ACLU, and they're so
12: not trustworthy. No,
11: don't trust them. They're like the
12: trans. They are a trans activist organization. NPR, trans
11: radio. Right. You know what I mean? Like, don't trust the Democrats at all at this point. Like, watch who you trust. You know what I mean? There's some people that just aren't. Untru- anyway, let me get back. 2018, the other main point about that case, you know, a lot of things about law is that we need these laws to kind of protect us at this point. You know, it's not kind of, but protect us. And we need, uh, you know, we need watchdog parents. But the, the law firm in 2018 brought to this to this to Madison Public Schools a case really focusing on um, the fact that teachers and staff are not telling parents if a child is playing trans at school. Here's the thing. Playing trans at school is not only encouraged in Madison, they're promoting it. There was a survey two weeks ago that was in my both of my, my high school kids' school emails. It was called a welcoming survey, and it was surveying five things. It had five questions, and I wish I could remember all of them right the bat. but one of the main ones was, do you identify as cis or do you identify as trans? Yeah, so definitely there is a big problem in the
12: Madison Public Schools because if you do identify as cis or trans or non-binary or some kind of gender or agender, you know, Then you get rewarded because you're falling into lockstep and in line with the ideology. Though, we've talked about this, the category of cis seems to be below, in a hierarchical way, the category of trans. That trans is like the highest and then maybe non-binary is second. And then cis is like the class of people that are quote-unquote privileged... Because they don't feel the pain of gender identity in their hearts and their souls like those who are non-binary and trans.
11: Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I think that when a school is asking children as young as fourteen, there's the other thing in the survey was their sexual orientation. You know, I I don't get it. You know, the principal. I like all the principals a week long amount of phone calls and emailing that I had to do around this survey. Um, But my point is, is that every parent should be in their kid's email because this shit is coming down the pike. It's already here. In some areas, they're banning things to try to protect, you know, but uh, you got to have the conversations at home with your kids. That's what this woman, Gab, who on Twitter, she's a turf Twitter writer, she talked about, like, you might not be able to control what happens at the school or even your workplace, but you can control what happens in your house. And, and I, I took a, I, I, I needed to hear that because with my kids, I'm very sensitive. Like I don't want to talk about it with them too much. Cause I also don't want to influence any, I don't, it's kind of like bringing up, bringing in a parasite into the house. And I don't really want that parasite in the house. You know what I mean? But they know that I am anti trans and the, you know, they know, they know that, so it, it's. I don't know. I I just those are some of the things I want to say. Is you know try to get on Twitter. Uh, the other thing is uh, cease and desist. That's what's you know. I mean they haven't set a cease and desist against me. Is it the district or the school board? But you know, you yeah, email. because
12: you know Mary Jo is an agitator. She is a classic radical in her tactics. In that way, she educates, agitates, and um, organizes, and So, yeah, I mean, I'm surprised that she hasn't been banned from, like, the public school ground or anything like that. But you actually ran
11: for school board. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I was thinking about that. I can't remember when I decided to run, but I knew there was a seat opening. And and the person that was leaving wasn't very good. She was not a good, in my opinion, a good school board uh, person. Uh, Very passive, uh, pushes things through. It was really, anyway, so I, I was, saw that opening and I thought, well, maybe I should just run, you know? Oh, and this is what I wanted to tell you guys. It's like when I ran for that, what happened almost immediately was that as a candidate, I was narrowed down to a one issue candidate and that was anti-trans. And there was, no matter how hard I tried to bring any other issue in, it was just gray and it, any other issue just was cluttery and I just couldn't have it. it was a, I was a one issue candidate. Yeah, she went out with uh, the woman, adult, human,
12: female sign on her clipboard. And she was interviewed by the local news with the woman, adult, human, female uh, big, big sticker on the clipboard. And, you know, that news station broadcast that. And prior to that, in Madison, a local news service, TV3000, had declared that very sticker hate speech. And so I thought that was interesting that they allowed you to be on the camera with that, you know. So well,
11: that was cool because that was just just to say I do think of uh, running for office as a political act. You know, I do think it's it's a good way to get issues fronted and talking to people. And I do, I'm not totally against voting. I'm I'm like nah, with it. You know, I don't really have that strong of attachment to voting anymore, but. It It is a way to survey. And so this run for school board, what happened was I, I had to drop out. I could only run for a week and a half. My son said to me, he came home from school and he said, Mom, they're talking about you in the halls. You have got to stop. You can no longer run. <laughs> so I got it pulled. I uh, had to go with it. Had to go with it. Yeah,
12: she had to listen to her children. I I totally appreciate that mary Jo, but i think that week and a half made a huge impact i mean the local news still talks about it whenever they bring up school board uh, officials and elections they they talk about your run because that was the first time a turf has ever as an out turf has run for a, a local political position that i know of
11: right and back to the one issue you know i can't think of a more important issue right now i'm sorry yes i know there are oil pipelines okay, I, I, I get the fights against the oil pipelines. You know, I, I, I understand, you know, but uh, this issue, you know, it's dark. It's not good. Where is child services? This is Joe Brew, and
1: I love listening to WLRN. We were driving in the country woods and we didn't know why we were there. Well, maybe we were running from the big city or maybe we were running to the mountain air. And then we come upon a cabin of a diner and oh, how they did stare. I said, hey, what's the quickest way to your Motel 6 out in these sticks? it said, hey, I'm feeling kind of weary, weeping all day, and we need a place to stay. Sitting on the therapist's couch And I didn't know why I was there Maybe I was running from the big issues Or maybe I was running to a listening ear And then I came upon a maze of emotion And oh, how I did fear I said, hey, what's the quickest way Added this mess to the happiness I said, hey, I'm feeling kinda weary I've been crying
10: That was No Shortcuts from Heather Maloney. Now we turn to an interview Jenna did with TRA turned whistleblower, the deprogrammer, about her former life as a foot soldier for the trans movement, what she has learned since that time, and what her thoughts are, knowing now what she didn't know then. The deprogrammer just yesterday released a new full-length documentary covering the high-level collusion pushing gender ideology. Check that out on
9: her YouTube channel.
0: Can you give us an overview of your past working in the LGBT nonprofit world?
9: Yes. And first of all, I want to say thank you, Jenna, for allowing me this space and like creating this space for me to share my experiences and my insight. I think it's really vital for people to understand that part of how this agenda has spread so rapidly really um, depended on and depends on still directly manipulating, exploiting, and like kind of co opting the minds and the energies of well meaning young people, specifically young lesbian, gay, and bisexual people. Um, and I was one of those people. Mm-hmm. About 10 years ago, I worked at a small local LGBT nonprofit organization. And when I say small, I mean it was literally me and one other woman who was only like a year or two older than myself uh, running the program. The LGBT Center I was working for, they are a tax exempt 501c3 nonprofit. And they operate under the umbrella of the New York State Division of Family and Children's Counseling Services. The funding for the programming comes directly from the AIDS Institute at the New York State Department of Health. So already I'm mentioning the state, and you can hear that the state is directly involved. So myself and this other young woman who worked there, um, as well as other young people I met that were working at other LGBT centers across New York State, we really thought that we were doing something good. We thought we were helping, you know. We thought we were giving the youth something that we didn't have access to, something that we lacked, something that we didn't have, right? This acceptance that we thought, uh, you know, that actually didn't exist, right? I was actually part of creating the first Gay-Straight Alliance at my high school, so I do remember a time when none of this support existed for LGB students in school. I really didn't know that I was part of paving the way for the creation of the so-called trans child or the destruction of female sex-based rights on a worldwide scale, which is really what we were doing right? I had no clue. And now I think of the work that I was doing as sort of like the PR or the public relations arm of the trans agenda. Mm -hmm. When we talk about indoctrination, we're really, we're talking about the process of teaching people to accept something like a belief completely uncritically. And a large part of indoctrination is propaganda and information control. And I believe, I know that when I was working at the LGBT Center, the information that I was receiving was controlled. The narrative that I was fed was controlled. And the reality that was being constructed around me was controlled. I was completely unaware of this hierarchical system of information control that was operating around me and through me. And I was taught to accept um, this control unquestioningly. And not only to accept it unquestioningly, but to impose it on others as the correct and like the moral way of thinking and being. Can you explain what some of your job
0: expectations and roles at the LGBT Center were and illustrate to
9: us some of what this indoctrination entailed? Yeah, a major part um, of what we would do is take propaganda directly coming from the big LGBT nonprofits. Like, literally, they would send us boxes, packages of materials. So we would take this propaganda from these big LGBT nonprofits, and we would take it into the public school system and target the kids there. Um, For example, like GLSEN, they would send us these safe space kits. We had this goal where we would try to get a rainbow sign placed into every classroom window. So we would go around and like talk to the teachers and try to get them to, will you put this sticker in your window so that your students know that this is a safe space where they'll be accepted? Mm -hmm. Uh, That was really important to us. When I was in Madison with you, your workshop really opened my eyes. And
0: one thing you said was that in this swag you always had was condoms. No matter what age range you were talking to, there were condoms there.
9: Yeah, absolutely. And I was actually just going to say the condoms themselves were rainbow as well. They came in rainbow colors. We would get these huge packages of them and we would always have that with us. I remember we would uh, pack our bag to like go into the schools and we'd pack like a big handful of the condoms, a big thing of the rainbow pens, our rainbow wristbands, our pamphlets, all this stuff. We would always have with us and the condoms we would bring with us to the GSA meetings where kids were free to take whatever they needed. <laughs> and now I see this as grooming. Um, I see this as completely as grooming behavior to be bringing condoms into schools. And I wasn't a sexual health educator, The parents had no idea I was speaking to their kids. They had no idea that they could receive condoms from me or the other woman. Parents didn't know that we were talking to kids about their sexuality or sex behind their backs without their consent. I didn't see anything wrong with it at the time. I thought it would be dangerous for some kids if their parents knew, and maybe sometimes it is, but that's not an excuse for adults to be given a free pass to systematically go into schools and groom children with gender identity ideology or sexual conversations at all. Right. We were very focused on indoctrinating the youth specifically with trans and gender identity ideology. It wasn't like we were going in there and talking about being gay or lesbian. It was all about gender ideology. And remember, nowadays, everyone knows what transgender is or like has a concept of trans. Uh, There is no real definition of transgender, but everyone has like some kind of concept of what trans or gender identity is back then. Nobody knew about this stuff. It really was information that we had that others didn't because we were being sent out to train the community and how to think about trans and teach them what trans is. So in the schools, in order to gain sympathy and trust from teachers and parents, we would always use this theme of acceptance, diversity, anti-bullying, suicide prevention, Uh, For example, I was on a suicide prevention task force locally in central New York, and they talked a lot about how if kids aren't given access to this type of information, if they don't see representation for themselves, they might kill themselves. Now, that narrative back then was very small. like It was in my space and in some of the people around me and in the nonprofit world, but this was not an idea that the general public had any idea of. Nowadays, it's on TV, you hear it all the time on the news. These kids are going to kill themselves. We need this and that so that LGBT kids will be safe from suicide. Right, And it's all BS. And a lot of that comes from the Trevor Project, which is another big nonprofit really behind pushing a lot of this propaganda. I want to get back to talking about the reporting that I did to the state. I mentioned before that when we were going into these local area high schools and setting up the LGBT clubs and the gay straight alliances, some of what we were doing was surveying the youth, the the children. We were surveying them and asking them questions and we would make uh, regular reports back to the state. And uh, this was done so that we could uh, receive funding So some of the things that I would make reports on, I would keep track of how many kids came to our events, their ages. We would give them surveys asking them about their gender identities and their sexualities. And these were called needs assessments. And I was made to believe that it was okay to, I I somehow believed that it was okay to talk to these children about their gender identity and their sex, which gender identity is not real, obviously, but about gender identity and about sexuality without the knowledge or consent of their parents, because we were providing a need, we were filling a need for them. We were helping them. We were giving them a safe place to talk about stuff that might not be safe to talk about at home. And again, this is not an excuse for this type of behavior. There's a a wedge. This is how they get the foot in. And I used to hear people say, oh, the slippery slope. Well, the slippery slope is real. We are far, far down that path now. When I was working at the center, there were a few teenagers who identified as transgender, but the concept of the trans child hadn't yet been invented. You know, we were laying that groundwork. We were the rainbow foot soldiers going out there, creating an environment where the trans child could come into existence and could be pushed on society and could be accepted. Transgender, obviously, is a corporate fiction, and there's no such thing as a transgender child at all. No child born in the wrong body, obviously, and no child should be medicalized because they've been indoctrinated to be confused about gender and to resent their sex body. Another really important part um, of what we did at the LGBT Center and one of the main focuses of our work there was to facilitate what are called LGBT cultural competency trainings. And I'm sure different places have different names for them. I've seen different names for them. But this is something that we would facilitate in workplaces and with organizations with adults, but also at local colleges and universities with young people and teens, and then also in high schools with minor teenagers. It was part of my job to call local businesses and arrange trainings for their employees, What did that entail, the cultural competency training? What did that entail? What it entailed was us basically instructing and familiarizing these unsuspecting participants with how to think about and how to talk about transgender identities. Because, again, at the time, most people had never heard of transgender. And they definitely never heard of gender identity or understood that as a concept. Some people, some adults had heard of transsexual but they didn't know about transgender or they didn't understand that they, they really only thought like cross-dressing. That's what they thought of when they thought of transgender. So it was our job to try to elucidate. This is what transgender means. And it's mm-hmm. funny actually, because cross-dressing used to be considered under the trans umbrella. And now some, depending on like what uh, materials you're looking at, it's not. And that's messed up to say that it is or it is. And again, that just goes to show how there is no reality to any of this. There's no truth. There's no um, standard material reality that can be defined. Everything is subjective. It's all subject to change at any given time to fit the agenda or to fit whatever um, needs to be pushed at any given moment. So so yeah, a big part of what we did at these LGBT cultural competency trainings was just educate people about the terminology. And after the sessions, we would hand out a little quiz and see what did they learn. And it was really just like, how well were you brainwashed? (laughs) How well do you remember the nonsense that we just told you? (laughs) (laughs) And Like, sometimes we would have people walk out. And I remember, like, we definitely saw those people as bigots, right? But the the level of hatred that we see today for people who don't go along with the programming, it just, it wasn't there yet. It hadn't been developed yet. But again, we were helping to usher in that climate. And after we would give them the quiz, they would get a little certificate to show that they had completed their course for LGBT competency and sensitivity. And now they're an ally. <laughs> And I really want to point out to people that I was considered an expert in gender identity and transgender stuff, which things that I now know are not even real. Things I know are completely made up. But I was mm-hmm. told I was an expert, even though mm-hmm. I had no idea what the hell I was talking about. The only reason I, quote, knew what I was talking about is because I was trained through materials that were coming from these larger nonprofits like Glad and Glisten. So I wasn't an expert and like, and I didn't even understand what I was teaching some of the times, but I was still expected to teach it. When I was going into the schools, teaching, uh, indoctrinating youth with transgender ideology, we never were telling them that you could actually change biological sex. That wasn't part of what we were saying when I was promoting it. Now, people are telling these young children, kindergartners, they're telling them that it's totally possible to change sex, that it's not only is it possible to change sex, but you can be this sex one day and this sex the other day. One day I'm male and one day I'm female. They need these children to become blank slates so that they can reprogram them with a new set of morals and beliefs that make it safe. For capitalism to continue to colonize the female body for the next stage of colonization, for the next stage of capitalism, which is total female reproductive control. Right now, all of these technological developments are coming that are usurping our female reproductive control and agency over our bodies. And that is happening in tandem with our erasure on the books, our erasure and language and laws. Is
0: there anything else that you would like to say to our
9: listeners who are mostly radical feminists and lesbian? I would want to encourage people to not let their resistance be co-opted. Do not allow any form of co-optation. I'm really worried that women's resistance is going to get co-opted into some type of political party or political something, which I think is dangerous because the state we can't change them. The The state is created as it is, and it is anti-woman inherently. And if we continue to try to engage with them on their level, they're just going to continue to co-opt our resistance. Right now, there are a lot of men speaking up against trans ideology and We have to understand that the voice of who is platform, this is very controlled. When it comes to social media, there are algorithms that say like who is and who isn't going to go viral. With any movement, there are genuine people such as like myself and yourself. And then there are the controlled opposition, socially engineered resistance people that are placed there to give a semblance of resistance that can be controlled so that the masses follow the controlled opposition and don't listen to voices like ours.
0: You are listening to WLRN.
5: In the last couple of years, public debate surrounding transgenderism has shifted significantly to focus on children, particularly prepubescent children. In the United States, at least, this shift has only served to further politicize the concept of gender identity and medical procedures altering biological sex indicators. Liberals argue that anyone who even has a slight problem with small children being told they're the opposite sex is a right-wing transphobe. Right-wing conservatives use the transing of kids as evidence that the entire LGBT movement was as perverted and immoral from the start as they always said it was. You're a child abuser if you don't let your kids skip puberty and take cross-sex hormones. You're a child abuser if you do. Liberals claim that kids will commit suicide if they're not allowed to pretend they're the opposite sex. Conservatives claim that liberal adults are grooming these kids to believe in trans ideology, in some cases with pedophilic motivation. Let me make one thing clear from my perspective as a radical lesbian feminist. None of these mostly heterosexual adults care about protecting women and girls as a class, or about protecting homosexuals as a class. Neither side can be trusted by lesbian feminists or radical feminists. If you're a feminist, your values and your goals do not align with either the right wing or the left wing, generally speaking, and definitely don't align on this particular subject of kids in the trans cult. Some female activists, whether they call themselves gender-critical or radical feminist, have chosen to work with the right wing to fight against liberals creating policies and practices allowing gender identity to override sex in public institutions. This is not because the women themselves have right-wing politics across the board. It's because the left has already decided they're unconditionally pro-gender identity and won't tolerate anyone in their ranks who isn't. That said, anti-gender identity women cooperate with the right wing at their own risk. The right's misogyny and anti-homosexual prejudice hasn't changed since they started resisting the trans cult wave. We have no reason to expect they ever will and a religious conservative's reasons for opposing gender identity are very different than that of the feminists. What makes this conflict sticky and complicated from a feminist standpoint is both sides getting a few things right. The right wing is correct that brainwashing small children into the religion of gender identity and putting them on a path that leads to puberty, prevention, and surgery is immoral, wrong, and insane. The liberals and leftists are half-right that kids should be allowed to dress in the clothes and play with the toys heterosexual society associates with the opposite sex. But if we're talking about the bigger picture, about gender itself, they're equally wrong. The right believes we should all be locked into the gender role and presentation traditionally associated with our sex. Males should be masculine and females should be feminine. The left now believes that the gender role and presentation you prefer, masculinity or femininity, determines or overrides your biological sex. If you're feminine, you're a woman, and if you're masculine, you're a man. There are two sides of the twisted heterosexual gender coin, and neither side can fathom a world where the gender system itself doesn't exist. I bring this up on the record because right-wingers and left-wingers both have a history of lying about what feminists believe on the issue of gender. They use these lies all the time, whether explicitly or implicitly, when talking to us and about us in this conversation on trans and kids. Radical and lesbian feminists do not believe or support in the heterosexual gender system. Period. That's the bottom line. We don't want to preserve the traditional, conservative approach where males must be masculine and females must be feminine. We also don't want to live in a society where we all collectively pretend that biological sex doesn't exist or isn't important, and where we only acknowledge masculinity, femininity, and people's unexplainable gender identities that can change anytime and has no connection to physical reality or even their presentation. We don't think feminine boys should be forced into masculine clothing, hobbies, and behavior. We don't think unfeminine girls should be forced to wear dresses and play with Barbie dolls. We also don't think these children should be taught that their preferences mean they're actually the opposite sex, and must change their name and eventually take medication they are incapable of knowledgeably consenting to that will have long-term medical consequences. Feminists believe gender should be abolished and that children should be allowed to dress in, play with, and pursue the interests they naturally gravitate toward, regardless of their biological sex. What pisses me off the most about this whole kids and gender identity mess is the underlying anti-homosexual hate and the harm being done to girls specifically. We've known for a long time that most gender nonconforming children that is, feminine boys and unfeminine girls, grow up to be gay men and lesbians. That's the main reason right-wing heterosexuals have always tried forcing those children to be gender-conforming. I suspect it's one reason they're fighting transgender ideology now. But that anti-homosexual prejudice, that dread of having a feminine gay son or a butch lesbian daughter... Is also what motivates the heterosexual liberals to push gender identity ideology onto children. Instead of accepting your feminine gay son, you get to have a feminine heterosexual daughter. Instead of accepting your butch lesbian daughter, you get to have a masculine heterosexual son. Finally, het liberal parents and their friends and family have a politically acceptable loophole that allows them to fully embrace their anti-homosexual sentiments. They don't care if these kids grow up to be lifelong medical patients with no sex lives. They only care about preserving the heterosexual status quo where men are masculine heterosexuals and women are feminine heterosexuals, just like their right-wing adversaries. The only difference between them is the strategy they choose to achieve the goal. And as for the misogyny piece of the puzzle, the right wing doesn't want a generation of predominantly heterosexual girls to become sterile, masculinized women that actual heterosexual men are disinterested in screwing and can't breed with. The left wing, on the other hand, would rather push girls who don't enthusiastically embrace pornified femininity and heterosexuality into the trans cult then deal with the out-of-control misogyny and lesbian hating of mainstream culture that they, liberals and leftists, actively participate in to the same degree as the right wing. Not to mention that left-wingers who support the transing of kids are enthusiastic advocates for the males in particular. The males who want to pretend to be girls to gain sexual access to them, to break records in girls' sports, to absolve themselves completely of their male privilege even as they experience it in a totally new form. Transgender activism is the left's version of men's rights activism, and that is no less true when we consider their goals and behaviors toward children than it is with adults. My point is both the right and left have misogynistic and anti-homosexual motivations in this struggle, despite the fact they are at odds with each other. Neither side cares what's best for the children. Kids are just political pawns to these people, these two groups of heterosexuals battling it out for which version of misogyny and anti-homosexuality will prevail. The kids currently being brainwashed by liberal and leftist adults into believing they're the opposite sex will suffer in a multitude of ways that they can't even imagine right now. But gender nonconforming kids, many of whom are gay or lesbian, have been suffering all along, especially at the hands of conservative heterosexual parents. And that suffering will also continue. Not the suffering of being unable to join the trans cult, but the suffering of being forced to perform gender in ways that contradict their nature. We're living in a sick time, and that out—and the outlook is bleak. Realistically, the only thing that will stop the transing of children in America now is the inevitable de-transitioning of many of them in adulthood. But by then, the damage will be done both physically and mentally. All I can say is thank you to my fellow butch and dyke femme lesbians who refuse to deny their femaleness and who serve as an example every day that unfeminine womanhood exists and doesn't need to be covered up with a trans charade. Thank you to gay men who choose the path of flamboyant femininity while proudly owning their maleness. And thank you to the women who are doing everything they can to protect girls' sports and sex-segregated bathrooms and locker rooms and to fight the indoctrination of kids into this misogynistic, heterosexist cult. Without all of you, there really would be no hope.
12: Thanks for listening to WLRN's 74th edition podcast on the indoctrination of children into the trans cult via public schools and more. WLRN would like to thank our guests this month for sharing their views. Thank you so much, Jennifer Billick, Elizabeth Miller, Kay Yang, Marissa Darling, and Mary Jo Walters for speaking with us. Until next time, this is Cecil Pedersen
6: signing off on another WLRN
12: podcast. If you like
6: what you are hearing and would like to donate to the Cause of Feminist Community Radio, please visit our WordPress site and click on the Donate button. Check out our merch tab to get a nice gift in exchange for your donation. And if you are interested in joining our team, we are always looking for new volunteers to conduct interviews, write blog posts, post to our Facebook and other social media pages, and do other tasks to keep us moving forward as a collective of media activist women. Thanks for listening. This is Aurora, signing off for now. And I am April Nell.
10: Thanks for tuning in. Next month, we will focus our program on leadership in feminist organizing. Our handcrafted podcasts always come out the first Thursday of the month, so look for it on Thursday, July the 7th. If you'd like to receive our newsletter that notifies you when each podcast, music show, and interviews are released, please sign up for our newsletter on the WLRN WordPress site. Stay strong in the struggle, and thanks for
0: listening. This is Jenna signing off on another edition of WLRN's monthly handcrafted podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Spinster, Overit, and SoundCloud in addition
5: to our WordPress site. Thanks for listening. And this is Sekhmet she Our monthly podcasts are always crafted with tender loving care and in solidarity with women worldwide. Thanks for your support. We would love to hear from you, so please share, like, and comment on this episode widely.
0: But how will we find our
12: way out of this? What is the antidote
1: for the patriarchal kiss? find what needs to be shown. And then after that, where is home? Tell me, where is my home? Cause gender